Hello, hello. This is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. And this is my sex hacker review of the book, She Comes First. And I am debating, I am considering what to title this book review. I, I got two titles that I'm just torn between. The first is Shove's too much feminism down the cunning linguist's throat. And then the second title I'm thinking about is Cunnilinguist is for Pussies. Both kind of edgy. I'm not sure which one of those I should go with. Maybe you can drop me a message on social media. Let me know which one of those you think is going to uh, attract a bit more attention. I have got a three-star review of this book, and three-star reviews can often actually be the most uh, helpful, informative reviews, you know, where someone is pointing out the positives, the good stuff to be found in a title, and then also leveling some critiques. So that is what I will aim to do here in this review of this book. You are going to want to go and check out the article review that I did also. That's going to be linked below wherever you're listening to this podcast and that article is as ever going to be over on LimitlessMindset.com. In that review, I'm going to be linking to all the resources, everything that I mentioned here, and I am also going to be having some uh, photos, some imagery, some illustrations over there, because all of this kind of linguist business that we're going to be delving into here is... Uh, best exposed uh, visually, wouldn't you say? So, being a tantric husband, a cunning linguist myself, or at least that's what people tell me, and uh, being ever curious about new things to try to add more spice to the Roseland bedroom, I picked up this book, She Comes First, and this is the book on cunnilingus. And while it's well-written and informative, it left an unfavorable taste in my mouth. I'll explain why. I've never been very enthusiastic about cunnilingus, kind of like a lot of guys, I imagine. I always thought... Maybe it's one of those things, like salsa dancing, that I'd enjoy if I actually got good at it. The book does present a very thorough guide, and I'll synopsize some of the best stuff here, but it does so in a way that myself and many non-feminist men will find downright unpalatable. Consider the author's cunnilinguist manifesto, quote, To her, according to your abilities, and from you, according to her needs. Inspired, of course, by the communist manifesto, which is 
from each according to their abilities to each according to their needs. As a right-thinking man, I fucking hate communism. Communists murdered my Bulgarian wife's grandfather in cold blood. So we're not off to a good start with the kind of linguist's manifesto there. My aversion to cunnilinguus is probably due to it feeling submissive. And I'm going to say some things here that I think probably most men think but don't say. And the feeling submissive, this is the same reason that women really seem to enjoy giving fellatio. I don't look down on men who love performing cunnilingus. Well, I would if I were in the same room as them while they were doing it. But it was a monumental blunder on behalf of the author of this book to cram a lot of his feminist inversion agenda ideology into a guide to something that men naturally feel just a little uneasy about. The book suggests that we despise with the conventional wisdom that exalts genital penetration as the apogee of sexual pleasure. No thanks, man. Also, I take some umbrage with the subtext of the book that the woman's pleasure is more important, that the man is there to serve the woman in bed. Now, let me be clear. My woman's pleasure is certainly important to me. I think about it every day. Seduction is the selfish and generous giving and taking of pleasure. But if you've had much sex, you'll know that what's natural in the bedroom is for the woman to serve the man a bit more. This is why I call my wife my sex slave. And she likes it. You might want to read the uh, chapter of my book, uh, an article that I publish uh, entitled, I Was Promised a Sex Slave. Really, it's only fair that the woman serves a bit more in the bedroom because seduction is typically drastically more work for the man. I'll explain. The average man must put in many months or years of painful, tedious, and uncomfortable personal growth efforts. Things like lifting weights in the gym, buying stylish clothes, building a cool social circle, sharpening his verbal skills, learning game, being humbled repeatedly in the unforgiving school of hard knocks. He must do all this stuff to become sex-worthy to an attractive young woman. The man overcomes his crippling approach anxiety, soldiers through grueling rejection after grueling rejection to meet a girl interested in dating him. Then he must come up with 
dozens of witty and clever things to say on the date, walking a tightrope between offending and enticing the woman. And it really is a tightrope. There really is a, a delicate balance that you got to strike uh, to make the magic happen. Then the man pays for taxis, drinks, dinner, hotel rooms, vacations, shoes, whatever the woman wants. The man must work hard and smart in his career so that he can afford to do the status signaling necessary to attract the kind of woman he desires. In Singapore, they say that a man must have the four C's to get a girlfriend. Car, cash, condo, and credit card. We're not in Singapore, but in almost every culture, men are expected to work their asses off for years or decades to be worthy of a woman's love. And I don't have a big problem with that. That's just the natural way. That's the, the express, expression of the evolutionary psychology and the way that our uh, culture is supposed to create a natural meritocracy out of which civilization and all the conveniences and good things in life, they all arise out of that dynamic in between the sexes. So I don't have a big problem with all of that. But, but let's ask ourselves, what must the woman do in her part in the seduction? Well, she needs to not look totally homeless. She needs to shower, smile, laugh, imbibe, free drinks, say yes, undress, and lie down somewhere soft when the time is right. Now, getting laid isn't always a Herculean endeavor for a man. Sometimes it's surprisingly easy. But in the course of most seductions, one of the parties is doing a lot more work. And he deserves to be catered to, I think, just a little more between the sheets. Also, I'll make the case that the man should actually be a little selfish. A little selfish in bed at the beginning of a new relationship as a filtering strategy. If you're a single guy, if you're a dating guy, think about this. Think about this a bit, okay? Truly feminine, which is girlfriend, wife material type women, possess consistently uh, almost supernatural, seemingly telepathic empathy. Real women have a, a capacity, a really special capacity that science doesn't quite understand. Uh, it's something to do with the uh, quantum entanglement of mere neurons. There's something really kind of magical going on in between the ears of a real woman. She has an amazing capacity to Feel what you are feeling. An inverted masculine feminist woman who has slept with 
30 other guys before you is not going to have that same type of special empathy. And she is not going to deeply revel in your pleasure. She's going to want to get hers in bed. Also, you want to give women the chance to tame you some over the course of the relationship. You, you don't want to be exactly the guy that does everything perfectly in the beginning of the relationship. The first few nights together, maybe the first couple months of dating, you're kind of, you should be kind of a, a sexual barbarian, an exciting lover that she'll never forget. But as you grow in intimacy together over time, you get more civilized and egalitarian in bed. This is just what's natural. And I included in my article review a meme that I created that says provider versus lover. And it's a meme from the movie Titanic. You remember that, of course. And uh, unforgettably in that movie, we have this amazing portrayal of the provider, which is the rich asshole that uh, Rose is engaged to. And I think he buys her this insanely expensive diamond. And then we've got Leonardo, who's just the poor guy who is uh, charming. And so, of course, she uh, jumps in the back of a car with Leonardo. Was it the, a day or two after meeting him for a sweaty romp? And so by being a bit more of a sexual barbarian in the beginning, by being maybe a bit more selfish in the beginning, you're, you're setting yourself up as a bit more of that lover than the provider, I think. Okay, if you want to be better in bed, study Tantra. And you're going to want to check out some of the videos and material that I've put together about Tantra. I link to them in the article on this. Tantric techniques will help you overcome premature ejaculation and make you a great lover. Just this last weekend, I celebrated my two-year anniversary with my beautiful wife in Atumnol, Plovdiv, Bulgaria. I posted some photos on Instagram that you can go check out. We intentionally abstained from sex for several days to build up the fire before going on our little trip. And then we made passionate love for 65 minutes. And hey, 65 minutes? That's that's not bad. I, I don't mind bragging about that just, just a bit. In contrast to She Comes First, the books about tantric practice do not stain it with any unnatural, stylish, postmodern ideology. They simply present techniques and a more spiritual approach to lovemaking and overall well-being that reinforce the beautiful symmetry of masculine and feminine energies. Well, that's enough uh, about my personal bedroom philosophy and how it clashes with Ian Kerners. He's the author of 
this book. So let's get pragmatic. First of all, important to understand, the female orgasm often demands more than penetration. Women don't often come from sex penetration alone. Quote, any sex therapist will tell you that the number one complaint they hear over and over from women is of an inability to experience orgasm during penis-vagina intercourse. The solution is not simply more foreplay. Women enjoy penetration, they'll moan, and maybe even fake orgasms to flatter you. But if you really want to win a woman's devotion, you need to spike her oxytocin. And you should direct your attention to the clitoris. About the clitoris, some interesting facts. With its 8,000 nerve endings, twice as many as the penis, enviable ability to produce multiple orgasms during a single session of sex, and no known purpose other than pleasure, is it any wonder that Masters and Johnson proclaimed the clitoris a unique organ in the total of humanity? The head is the most visible part of a woman's clitoris that often gets referred to as the love button. The clitoris is not just that little pleasure button just north of her vagina. It's a network of nerves that should be stimulated with persistence and patience. The book addresses the G-spot myth. But a quick study of anatomy reveals that all orgasms are clitoral. The clitoris is the sexual epicenter, an orgasmic powerhouse in which no sensation goes unnoticed. As Natalie Angrier, <laughs> and that name just that name just makes me laugh. Natalie Angrier is is that her porn star name perhaps? Okay. As she writes of the infamous G-spot, the area of soft tissue just inside the vaginal area. The roots of the clitoris run deep, after all, and very likely can be tickled through posterior agitation. In other words, the G-spot may be nothing more than the back end of the clitoris. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it, if you're visualizing the female anatomy down there, the G-spot is just kind of the other side of where the clitoris is. To achieve orgasm from penetration, you want to increase friction between your cock and the G-spot. This is best achieved in doggy style, toothpick, cowgirl, and her butt on pillow, legs in the air kind of positions. Standard missionary is not great for hitting the G-spot. In your thrusting, gentlemen, aim for her belly button, and you'll be aiming to please. Here's an interesting factoid. Etymologically, vagina 
originates from a Latin word meaning a sheath or scabbard for a sword, reinforcing its relationship to the penis and dependency upon penetration or insertion for broader meaning. Intercunnilingus. If you have much sexual experience, you've probably tried going down on a woman. You've also enjoyed your fair share of blowjobs. So you know the difference between a great BJ and a, a crappy one. So you can understand that knowing the proper technique and practicing it makes all the difference between a mind-blowing experience for your lover and a mediocre one. I'll add, if you, like me, are a red-blooded man with a little aversion to prostrating yourself before a woman in bed, reframe it with language. Call it cunnilingus, not going down, giving head, or worse, eating out, which just evokes cannibalism, to me at least. Okay, the three assurances. These are important for priming your lady to get the most out of what you're about to do. In your own words, tell her first, going down on her turns you on. You enjoy it as much as she does. There's no rush. She has all the time in the world. You want to savor every moment. And thirdly, her scent is provocative. Her taste, powerful. It all emanates from the same beautiful essence. Communicate these three assurances physically and verbally. Repeat them over and over in every possible way. Say them, show them, embody them, be strong, be understanding. On the first kiss. The first kiss upon her vulva should take her breath away. So don't diminish the sense of anticipation. Instead, kiss the areas around the vulva rather than the clitoris. Use your lips, not your tongue. Smooch, nibble, but stay away from the clitoral head in the beginning. Here's some tips and technical points. Avoid, during foreplay, avoid direct contact with her genitals for a minimum of 10 to 15 minutes. Stimulate other parts of her body. Let the oxytocin wash over her and pervade her bloodstream. A pillow propped up under her butt will help the with blood flow to the pelvic region, as well as provide you with better access to her genitalia. As for your tongue, it should easily be able to rest against her vaginal entrance and cover its entire expanse. Hopefully her vagina isn't too expansive. Cover it from top to bottom. You'll know you're both in the right position when she's able to comfortably look down the length of her body and watch you work. And you're able to look up without breaking the flow of action and make eye contact with her. 
when you do stimulate the head of the clitoris for the first time, press the soft, wet tip of your tongue into it and then hold the position. Like a gentle mist, engulf the head in the moistness of your tongue. She might shudder from the shock, but continue to hold the position unless she tells you to stop. Tongue tip. As an enhancement to these techniques, perform them with her legs in the air. Get a firm grip on her thighs and raise both legs so that only her butt is touching the bed. Lick her vulva tenderly and gingerly and note the tension in her legs and pelvic area as she pushes against your hands. This pushing against a point of resistance is a key element in developing hypertonicity, the muscular tension that contributes to sexual response and orgasmic release. Press your thumb against her clitoral head and gently flick it from side to side as you penetrate her with short, shallow thrusts. Or press the shaft of your penis against her clitoris and then gently thrust between the folds of her labia without ever entering her. Mons pubis. No, that's not a place on Mars. Or uh, it's also called the pubic mound. Is located just above the clitoral cluster. Massaging the mons pubis with the base of your palm stimulates the clitoral cluster from above. Next point, a good, important takeaway from the book, something that I didn't know. Be still, my dude. To that end, a flat, still tongue pressed softly, later firmly, into her vulva will prove to be one of your most powerful positions. Make sure that the interval between licks is long enough to let each one resonate fully and completely. This is one of the most underestimated and underutilized tongue positions. It's great for inducing orgasm, but more importantly, it's also great as a breather between strokes. A flat, still tongue is like the intermission at a play or the break between scenes. He writes, you're giving her something to reach for that ultimately eludes her grasp. And boy, isn't, <laughs> isn't that line uh, great advice for seduction and dealing with women in general? Give her something to reach for that ultimately eludes her grasp. Okay, you want to let her move during cunnilingus? Quote, let her push and grind against your flat still tongue. Take it all in and then spring back with a series of fast vertical and diagonal tongue strokes. Lick her senseless with a short burst of energy and then return to the flat still tongue waiting for yet another opportune moment to spring to life again. 
and keep a towel, a small towel handy there on the bed where you're making love and use your free hand to give your face a, a wipe down. Because if you've ever done cunnilingus, you know that your face gets really wet and full of saliva and you want to wash that off after a little while, you know. Okay, moving on. Orgasm impending. In addition to observing these visible signs of arousal, during the pre-orgasm phase, you will principally recognize the female orgasm through the spasmodic involuntary contractions of her genital area, also known as pelvic thrusting. Once she's in the pre-orgasm phase, bring her legs as close together as possible. Hey, that's good, good to know, right? Because we're always working towards our lady's orgasm. Bring your legs together and you might just get there. Okay, here's a question that every guy wonders about, that every guy ponders while he's down there. How long should cunnilingus last? A cunnilingus session should last anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes on average, not including foreplay. Yes, so you're going to need to take some time to do this. One of the main complaints of women in regard to men's oral habits is that they're too fast and rough. So if you tongue fuck her or flick her clit like you're a porn star in order to move things along, you'll likely derail the entire process and possibly even hurt her. We don't want that, do we? Here's a sex hack. As men, we like to do things fast, right? We like to get things done. But the bedroom is not the place for haste. It's hard to keep track of time while making love. What feels like enough foreplay to you, my dude, is often 20 to 30 minutes less than what she needs. A timer is a decent idea, but you probably don't want to be fumbling with a timer app on your smartphone in between having that last drink together and undressing each other in the bedchamber. So here's my life hack. Get a sexy time playlist and mentally note which song is about 25 or 30 minutes into the playlist. When that tune comes on, you know it's about time to transition from foreplay to sex or cunnilingus. As a statistically exceptional and patient lover, you should aim for the sex itself to last over 20 minutes. So also mentally note which song is about 50 minutes into the playlist. And I've got a infographic in my article. Funnily enough, the average man lasts just about six minutes in bed. So you don't have to last terribly long to be better than average. If you last about 20 minutes, you're going to be doing pretty good. So that's what I suggest that you aim for. Okay, 
I got a funny story. About halfway through this book, I was ready to start practicing some of what I was learning. So I laid Mrs. Roseland down, set on a 15-minute uh, a timer, and got down to business. I articulated the assurances to her, but my visage betrayed me. She kept giggling as I was licking away and intermittently holding still down there. My wife finally told me, laughing, Jonathan, you have this tortured look on your face, like a little boy being made to eat his vegetables. I was determined to try out what I'd learned and get through at least 15 or 20 minutes, but I really didn't look like I was enjoying it, apparently. My timidity about cunnilingus was written all over my face, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing it, right? So if you really don't enjoy doing it, don't do it because it will show on your face. My wife suggested that I put my pianist's fingers to work and master fingering a bit more. That I can get excited about. In fact, I've got, I looked up some books on Amazon about uh, fingering, and I will be reading those and sharing what I, uh, what I, what I, pick up from them, sharing what I figure out for myself in the bedroom. And uh, one of the books was entitled uh, The Christian Man's Guide to Fingers, some, something like that, Christian something guide to fingering. So, so I'm thinking that'll be not quite so, not quite so feminist as this book. That'll be a little bit more my kind of speed. Okay, real important point here. This is something that I learned from the book. The vagina is not a swamp. Quote, a woman's genitals are a self-cleaning system, more sanitary than many other parts of the body, including the mouth. One of the reasons a woman is often lubricated, even when she's not aroused, is that these secretions are part of the woman's natural way of keeping it bacteria-free. It's been said that a woman's genitals are as clean as a fresh carton of yogurt. And this comparison is often made because the kind of bacteria found in yogurt, the lactobacilli, or uh, here in uh, Bulgaria, we have lots of yogurt with the Bulgaricus lactobacillicus, this kind of bacteria are also found in a woman's vaginal secretions. So I will try to keep this in mind when trying cunnilingus again, because I love yogurt. So yeah, I guess you can think of the vagina, think of it more as, as yogurt, right? And boy, yogurt's, yogurt's awesome. Okay, next important point. In bed, gentlemen, make a little more noise. Quote, so if you tend to be the quiet type in bed, untie your tongue and verbalize your erotic feelings. Men tend to be quieter in bed, and women like quiet lovers 
about as much as we do. It makes things a lot hotter when you're both making some noise. Interesting factoid. Men get stronger erections when women are moaning, are moaning louder. If you ever have a floppy cock at an inopportune moment in the bedroom, encourage her to speak up a bit and you'll firm up. Thou shalt cuddle. Don't put a damper on an otherwise brilliant performance. An extra 15 minutes spent cuddling, snuggling, and whispering sweet nothings is the path to greatness, the road to the sexual big leagues. On fake orgasms. In fact, some sex therapists will recommend to women who have trouble experiencing orgasms that they do just that fake their way through one in order to stimulate and trick the body into experiencing the real thing. The 69 position is non-optimal. Quote, you are endeavoring to provide stimulation from the wrong point of attack rather than approaching her vulva from the south bottom up. You're coming in from the north top down. Regardless of who's on top, you'll have little use of your hands and it will be difficult to use your tongue to comfortably service the major parts of her clitoris. Interesting factoid here. Caution. Never, under any circumstances, blow into a woman's vagina as though trying to fill it with air. Doing so is seriously dangerous. Blowing into a woman's vagina may cause an embolism and can lead to death. Breathe on her, blow lightly on her, never blow into her. Good to know, right? On promiscuity, according to the Sex in America survey, as it turns out, Promiscuity triggers a domino effect of risky behaviors. The more partners an individual has, the more likely he or she is to have sex with people who themselves have many partners. The more likely he or she is to have sex with virtual partners, the more likely she or he is to have been under the influence of drugs or alcohol during some sexual encounters. Oh, let me correct myself there. It's saying the more likely he or she is to have sex with virtual strangers, the more likely she or he is to have been under the influence of drugs or alcohol during some of the sexual encounters. And while it is more likely that a condom was used, the rate of increased condom use does not seem great enough to offset the higher risks of infection. According to the Sex in America survey, three out of four of married women say they always or usually reach climax during sex compared to fewer than two out of three of single women. In large part, the success of the married versus unmarried comes from an understanding 
of each other person's body and the knowledge of what works and what doesn't. So contrary to what the pop culture might have you believe, married women are actually getting a whole lot more enjoyment and orgasms out of their sex than those uh, single girls out at the ladies' night are. The book has several chapters to freak you out about STDs if you're not freaked out enough already about STDs. And yes, you can get and transmit nasty bugs from oral sex. The book exhorts the reader to use condoms or dental dams when having casual oral sex with strangers, which just strikes me as something that almost nobody will do. I've had a lot of protected sex in my life, and the women always seem to be enthusiastic about performing bareback blowjobs. Almost nobody out there seems to be interested in or real disciplined in using uh, condoms or dental dams. I've never even seen a dental dam, to be honest, when they're, you know, doing cunnilingus and blowjobs. If you're a single dude out to slay poon or a pickup artist, I know that some of you pickup artist dudes follow me, I'd urge you to learn the facts about promiscuity. Read my article, The Promiscuity Question. I've got it linked. Or just stop and think about it soberly for a damn moment before jumping in bed with the next stranger. To be responsibly promiscuous, you need all these layers. Condoms, dental dams, contraception, affirmative consent, regular STD tests, etc. You need all these layers of awkward, unsexy protection between you and impulsive decisions made in a moment of sweaty passion that can royally fuck up your life. Decades of pop culture propaganda has made monogamy uncool, but it is really the solution to hotter, better sex. Meet a nice girl. Read my book about how to do that. Meet a nice girl with a low notch count, meaning less than five previous sexual partners before you, and make her your exclusive girlfriend or marry her. And you can dispense with all these pleasure-robbing half-measures trying to make sex, quote-unquote, safe. Skanks smell fishy. Yes, this isn't a baseless stereotype. Quote, if a woman has unprotected sex with one or more new partners, the body may not be able to restore balance as quickly as possible as a result of immunological factors. So in some sense, smell may be indicative of promiscuity and is probably why the Kama Sutra describes licentious women as smelling like fish. Hey, 
Have you ever pondered this? Who enjoys sex more? I've thought about that question quite a bit. Well, research cited in the book indicates that women enjoy sex more. In general, of course. It depends on the woman, the man, the relationship, and a million other things. But to quote from the book, Masters and Johnson's declaration that a woman has an infinitely greater capacity for sexual response than a man ever dreamed of. And according to Greek mythology, when Zeus and Hera went to the hermaphrodite Tiresias in order to determine who experiences more pleasure from sex, men or women, Tiresias responded, if the sum of love's pleasure adds up to ten, adds up to ten, nine parts go to the woman and only only one to men. Wow! So according to Tiresias, women are really getting <laughs> getting a lot more out of the business in the bedroom than we are. I've long suspected that women actually enjoy sex more because of evolutionary psychology. Historically, at least, sex has always been riskier for women than men. A lot riskier. So it would make sense that evolution would reward them with a with greater pleasure, right? Why then are women seemingly less promiscuous than men? I wouldn't say that they are less promiscuous. I would just say that they are more selective because of the risk entailed. And as evidence for my little theory here, I would just point to the obvious. In first world countries where sex is less risky for women, they tend to be a lot more promiscuous. The book ends with an evocative philosophical allusion to the unbearable lightness of being, which is an 80s classic worth a watch with your significant other. Uh, I watched it with my wife while we were doing our anniversary, and it's actually a pretty good movie. I linked to the trailer on YouTube. Go and check out the trailer, at least my dude. Quote, the unbearable lightness of being comes from a meditation on the philosophy of Nietzsche, who said that we should live each moment of our lives as though we were sentenced to repeat it over and over, forever and ever, for all eternity. We should live each moment as though we were creating an eternal, unchangeable work of art. We may not be able to live each moment as though we were going to repeat it over and over for all eternity, but we can make love that way. We can kiss our beloved knowing that we want that kiss like a pebble cast into a still lake to ripple and undulate for all eternity. That's a beautiful sentiment, isn't it? Next time you find yourself in the intimate embrace of a woman, surrender to the 
timelessness beckoning in that sweet, wet moment. So, like I said, I rated She Comes First three stars. The book is well-written and worth reading if cunnilingus is a tool that you want to have in your armentarium as a lover. But I have to detract those two stars because, first of all, the ideology being pushed unnecessarily in it. I'm sure I'll try cunnilingus again, but for the rest of my life, I'm going to associate it with feminism and communism, thanks to this book. The book should have had more illustrations elucidating the techniques. When it comes to this sort of thing, pictures are a must. Several of the chapters towards the beginning of the book are pretty dry and academic. Put this stuff in the appendix. Frankly, you could jump right to the how-tos and techniques in the second part of the book, which starts at chapter 21. One of my problems with cunnilingus has always been that my mouth got tired after a few minutes. The book should have addressed this issue. And my wife did read the companion book that Kerner wrote for women entitled Passionista, The Empowered Woman's Guide to Pleasuring a Man, which is about blowjobs. She did learn some delightful things from that book, but she said that Kerner's feminism detracted from it. My wife is also anti-feminist, being a based Bulgarian herself, and she was weirded out by his constant suggestion of woman-on-man anal play. Ian Kerner really wants the ladies out there to be sticking their fingers in your butts, so you'll have to decide, gentlemen, if that's what you want. Uh, let me know what you think of this book review. Let me know. I'm always curious about sex hacks. I'm always curious about trying new things. I'm not some uh, stuck-up conservative that only wants to do it in the uh, missionary position with the lights on, with the lights off for the purposes of reproduction. I have a really great sex life because uh, I'm open-minded. So yeah, drop me a comment, drop me a line on social media or email or whatever, and point me in directions of other sex books that I can read and glean something from. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jonathan Roseland with Limitless Mindset. Looking forward to a continued conversation with you.